We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Don't you just love our worship team? I mean, these guys worship like they have someone worthy of awesome worship. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of this family, to be able to serve on this team. I mean, I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago, this is the one thing I thought I would never do. And uh, God's sense of humor is just kind of funny. Can I get an amen? Good job. Friends, we are starting a brand new series next week. But before I announce what it is, I just want to ask you, have you guys enjoyed journeying along, looking at the life of Paul? I know I have. It's been quite challenging for me. There's been um, what I'll call some reframing of paradigms going on in my life because of our study and our walk through the life of Paul. And it was, it's not exhaustive. I mean, we didn't touch all of his life or all of his lessons. But I have really appreciated getting to focus on this man of God's life and the fruit of his ministry, which we are reaping today. And um, so, Pastor Jason, welcome back, by the way. Um, We missed you a lot. And your family. It's good to see you guys. And so, thank you for choosing to walk us through Paul. I think it's been awesome. So, this next series, guys, is called Not Today, Satan. How many of you guys were in the house when Pastor Jason was like, that moth was coming, and he said, he waved it away, and he said, not today, Satan. That was the inspiration moment, I'm telling you. So this new series is actually focused on really exposing the plans of Satan so that we as believers can go on the offense and destroy the works of the devil. We want to equip you to do warfare, because you weren't called to just hide in a church or hide in your backyard, or go home, put your car in the garage if you have space in your garage, and shut the door really quick so the world can't get you. You have been called to represent Christ and to establish his kingdom here. You are sons and daughters and kings and priests in God's kingdom. Amen? How do we do that? Well, you're going to have to come back and listen to the sermon series, and we will equip you. Jesus says in Matthew 16, Verse 18, upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Amen. So friends, don't miss it. Come next week as we kick it off with Pastor Jason. So today we're going to actually look at one final message and one final lesson from the life of Paul. And as I was praying about this, I thought, really no better way to describe Paul's life as we wrap this up than a life that was anchored. Pastor Jason, why don't you bring that little prop up here if you can carry it. I know you've been on vacation, so let's see what do we have here. (laughs) That was fun. That was great. (laughs) Yeah, it did dent it. Anchored. In turbulent times, we need to be anchored. And I don't know about you, but I've been sailing a couple times, and it never worked real well to keep that anchor in the boat. You don't anchor to yourself. 
You've got to anchor to something. And what I believe is we can learn some deep lessons from Paul's life about how to live an anchored life. So I would love to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. And if you guys, if you guys really like the sermon, I'll, I'll drop that anchor one more time later, okay? Jesus, thank you so much. Thanks for being our friend. Thank you for being Lord over us. Thank you for taking hold of all authority in heaven and on earth so that we could walk as sons and daughters and establish your kingdom here. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and minds and that Holy Spirit, you would begin to reframe the areas of our thinking and belief system that need to be reframed according to the word of truth. So we surrender today. We say, do whatever it is that you want to do in us and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit as a work of grace, because we're stepping in in faith, believing that you want to do it and you are willing to do it and you are able to do it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So for some context, we're going to be reading primarily out of the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. Out of Philippians chapter 3. I want to make sure that you guys are awake. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking to the Philippian church, and he's talking about the fact that there are people in the area who are teaching false theology and false understandings about God. Paul actually calls them dogs. He calls them dogs because they're hypocrites and they're leading people astray. So he insults them, calling them dogs. And he loves the Philippian church. This is his most tender letter that he's written. And it's one of his last letters that he's written. And it's, you know, I think we mentioned this before. When someone's last words are on the the page, you got to know that they're probably putting some really important things in there. And as I read through this chapter, I see three, and that's not the, the limit of what you can find in this chapter, but I see three beliefs that Paul operated by. And those beliefs guided his decision making. You see, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but beliefs and values, they come from somewhere. You see, values come from your set of beliefs, and your beliefs come from your worldview, what you believe to be true, what you believe about the world you live in. We live in a society that wants to shape your worldview to conform to its belief about life and the world. But you know that you are Christians, and you are not called to be like the world, even though you are in the world, right? And that is a challenge because I can't tell you how many times I've come across Christians who have some pretty strange beliefs. None of you, of course. Not myself, of course. But no, in reality, we live in a world that is trying to shape the way we think about God and life and what matters and what is valuable. I remember when I was coming out of high school that everybody kept asking me, where are you going to college? And so I'd have to go on this long spiel of, well, actually, yeah, I'm not going to go to college yet. I'm going to go and serve in missions. And the, 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 the looks I would get from people, it's so funny. They're like, uh, one person asked me one time, so I was partway into my missionary training, and they said, so, you know, like, 
when are you going to go to college and get a real job? And I said, I don't know. I mean, I kind of think of what I'm doing as a real job, but, you know, I understand. And I just kind of sheepishly had nothing to say. I was just trying to follow Jesus. But you see, people, when I was growing up, the most important thing you could do after high school was go to college. Now, I'm not saying don't go to college, and I'm not saying that that's not important, but what matters most is obedience to Christ, and we need to obey. We need, we need to look at the options, pray about them, and decide, and then move forward in faith because that is what pleases God. Getting a degree when it's what God has told you, it's not what God has told you to do, is a waste of your time. Not getting a degree when God has told you to get a degree is a waste of your time. We also live in a culture, even today, it's gotten worse over the last 10 years, where the culture itself is trying to tell you that if you're a man, you can choose to become a woman. And if you're a woman, you can choose to become a man. Or that you can choose a homosexual lifestyle, and if you like it, then no big deal. Because what you decide to be true is true. Unless it contradicts what someone else decides to be true, then it's a problem And then you need to change what you think is true to be in line with what that person has decided is true today for this five-minute moment. Now, we can giggle about it, but this is a confusing time to live in. All the more reason to learn from Paul of what it means to be anchored. Because I'm telling you this, guys. God has called this house to be on mission. We are not playing a game here. We're not coming on Sundays to just hang out and feel good and worship and then go home and hide in our homes. We are called to be on mission. Until the day Jesus calls you to go home, you have work to do. Because here's the thing, a proper response to the gift of grace that you have received is to let the fruit of righteousness come off your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? It means a proper response is active faith. It means stepping forward when God says step. It means remaining still and steadfast when he says wait. It means abiding in a trusting attitude when he is silent. No, no, we don't like that. Just tell me something, God. Even rebuke me. It's better than being silent. But you see, you have received grace. I have received a a gift of grace. Paul received a gift of grace. And that gift of grace motivated him to not just buckle down and hang on tight and wait, but to write more than half of the New Testament. And evangelize almost the entire, entire world known to mankind at the time. This guy bore incredible fruit, and it was a response from the gift he had been given. You see, here's the thing. My parents told me this. I've told my kids this. I've told people I mentor this, and I'm telling you this now. If you wait to decide decide what matters until you're confronted with a, a difficult decision, you have waited too long. What do I mean by that? I mean, you need to decide in advance with the Lord and through prayer what you believe about certain things, where you stand. Because when you're under pressure and someone comes to you and starts beating down your door saying, I need you to tell me what you think about this, or they're trying to put 
let's say local government, they're trying to put some more stuff into our school system, are you going to go along with it? If it's ungodly curriculum, are you going to go along with it? Or will you have decided in advance what it means for you to stand for righteousness? Jesus said that fence sitters and lukewarm water drinkers, or people who are like lukewarm temperature, God will vomit out of his mouth. And that is because we are in a season and have been in a season where you cannot sit on the fence. It is foolishness to think that you can merge both an ungodly worldview and a godly worldview together and mix them somehow. It is illogical. It creates confusion. It creates hopelessness and despair. You know why? Because you are adrift in the ocean without an anchor. God's calling us to be anchored to him because he's calling us to the front line. He's calling us to the battle. Are you willing to go to the battle? I don't know about that. Are you guys willing to go to the battle? Even if it's not easy? Are you willing to do the preparation work that is required to train yourself in righteousness with the God's help ahead of the battle? Are you willing to let go of, I feel like I'm conducting a, a marriage or something. Are you willing to let go of those beliefs that you have that need to be shifted and reframed and transformed so that you can be in line with the truth of the word of God? Are you willing? I'm willing. Guys, by prayer, when I pray, it's just, God, do whatever you want to do. Shape me however you want to shape me. Chisel off something. You've got to chisel off through whatever means possible. Do it so that we can be, so I can be ready to be used. And that's my heart for you guys as well. I don't want you to miss your opportunity for God to deploy you into his plan for the kingdom. I don't want you to miss it. It's beautiful and it's awesome to be a part of. And you were designed to be engaged in the mission. All right, that's my intro. We know without a doubt that Paul was a person who lived walking one path for one mission. He was laser focused. And that comes from his beliefs that are rooted in his worldview that was shaped with an encounter with Jesus. Because you remember he says that he didn't learn the gospel from somebody, some people. He learned the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And friends, that is exactly what we need as well. He gained a brand new way of looking at life and deciding what was valuable and important by having an encounter with Jesus. And see, he lived from that place of questions having already been answered. And I believe God wants us to step into that too. Of course, there are going to be times where we come across things that we've never thought we would ever encounter. And we didn't have time to decide. But if you are walking with Jesus and allowing him to shape your character, and you're deciding ahead of time what you believe and what you think and what your stand is going to be on major issues in the Christian faith and that affect your daily life, you'll be ready. You don't have to panic about not having a decision for every little possible scenario. But I want to encourage you, be as prepared as you can be with God's help. Now's not the time to sit around and wait for the fight to come to you. We need to take the fight to the gates of hell. We need to go prepared and girded up with the word of truth. 
together. Us together with God, with his help. So I'm gonna walk you through three core beliefs that Paul lived from. These beliefs informed his values, which then determined the outcome of his decisions. If you don't know why you're doing something, you can go back and look at the decision and look at a belief that might be driving that decision. A simple one could be, let's pretend you don't tithe, okay? You guys are a generous church, but let's pretend one of you doesn't tithe. You could say to yourself, why don't I tithe? And looking down deep, there may be actually a belief that God isn't faithful to his word. Down a little deeper, there might be fear of lack. Down a little deeper, there's, you see that fear is rooted in being brought up in a home where you are always told there's not enough. So if you go down there to that belief and then you say, but what does God say in his kingdom? And you say, you see that he says there is always enough. I'm a good father. I will always take care of you. You can begin to dismantle that wrong belief and replace it with a right belief, which then produces right values, prioritizing the right things in the right order, which then will affect your decision-making. Do you follow what I'm saying? We all have areas that God's going to want to tune and tweak as he moves us forward. So Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This word to know him is the Greek word gnosis, and it means a firsthand experiential knowledge of Christ. God isn't interested in you just knowing about God knowing about Jesus. He wants you to have personal, firsthand experience with his faithfulness, with his healing touch, with a word of knowledge, with being deployed into his mission. He wants you to have that experience yourself with God. He wants you to have that firsthand, personal, experiential knowledge of Jesus. And there's another interesting word in this scripture. It is the word loss. When he says that he counted all that he used to count as gain, like his pedigree, his education, his accomplishments, his zeal for the Lord, he counts them as loss. This word loss means zemia, and it means damage. He actually points out here something really important. In this point that nothing matters, nothing matters more than knowing Christ, he is saying, even my good works and my good accomplishments and the things I used to brag about and the things I used to use to impress people and even try to impress myself, I count those things as something that will damage my ability to know Christ in a firsthand experiential way. And I believe that Paul knew something. Paul knew something, and that is this, that it is worth trading all the wealth of the world, all the possible fame, all the comfort. It's worth trading it for the chance to know Christ. Not just know about him, but to know him like a friend. 
Paul knew that. I wonder if we know that. You see, when you set the value of knowing Christ in an experiential and personal way next to the things of this world, if you have a worldview like Paul had, those things are so puny and so insignificant compared to the greatness of getting to know Christ. You know, I did a little research really quick just to kind of, just to be nerdy. There's about $418 trillion worth of wealth on the earth today. It's a lot of money. You know, if you convert that into pesos, that's even more. $418 trillion, what are you going to do with that? By the world? But I did a little quick math, because I was homeschooled. I'm good at this kind of stuff. But if you had all that money in dollar bills, did you know that you could wallpaper the entire city of Denver 42 million times over with dollar bills? That's kind of crazy. If you crumble them all up into little balls as tight as you can get them and threw them into Broncos Stadium over at Empower Field, you'd fill that thing to overflowing. That's a lot of money. But here's the challenge for us is that I believe God wants us to recognize, not from a place of being condemned, but conviction, where we allow chasing after the things of the world to get in the way of knowing Christ. If Paul was willing to say that he would trade away all the wealth, all the power, all the fame, all the comforts, just to get to know Jesus, I wonder what that would mean for us. I wonder how our lives, what, you know, how would they look different if we actually prioritized knowing Christ over accomplishing X, Y, Z and goal. X, Y, Z, goal. That's what I meant to say. Your life may need to change, and I think mine does too. We need to reprioritize and put knowing Christ in everything that we do. I just wonder what would happen in our church and in our community, in our city, in our state, in our country, and in the nations where we go, if knowing Christ was what mattered most to us. Now again, do not be condemned. When God invites us towards something challenging like this, he always shows us a way forward. And that's going to be different for each of you, what you need to set aside and what you need to implement to be able to prioritize knowing Christ. But I know this, he wants to be known by you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him for real. The second idea here and belief that Paul let drive his life is this. It's all grace. You hear in our culture a lot, we say, it's all good. I've even heard 90-year-olds say, it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. Is it all good? No, not necessarily. When I look out there, it's not all going great. But Paul understood this, that it is all grace. Whether it is good or it is what we would call not good or somewhere in between on the spectrum of awesomeness or not, his grace is sufficient. And not only that, it's his grace that enables us to pursue him in the first place. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 goes on to say, it says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes 
through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may be able to know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He understood that no amount of working for it could earn grace for him. It's an act of Christ alone. This is what he knew. And I wonder if we know it as well, that only, his only righteousness was Jesus' righteousness. And it was 100% always, without exception, based on the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't add to it. You can't earn it. You can't steal it, even if you wanted to. You can't manufacture it on blockchain. You can't buy it. You can't avoid it. His grace is the power to live for him, motivated by his love for you. And Paul deeply understood this. Because let's not, let's not pretend. Paul was a human being. He was not perfect. He was not Jesus. This guy stumbled around as he was doing ministry, I'm sure. He made mistakes. He probably rebuked people too strongly at times. He probably lusted. He probably did things that he was ashamed of. In fact, we know that because he says, man, why do I do the things I don't want to do and do not do the things that I do want to do? And that's a lot of do-do's. Why do I do these things? Who is going to deliver me from this body of death, he says. He's having a bad day, I think. And we've had those kind of days but he would constantly return to the anchor and that is that he is anchored in the free gift of God, which is grace. He was anchored and nothing could rattle him and shake him loose from that. I wonder if we know that security as well. More than anything, I want us to know that, that we are anchored. Nothing can snatch you from his hand, not even you. Not even you. You are secure. You are anchored. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 9, says this. Because he's going on and he's talking about who he is and the grace of God. And he says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to even be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Can you hear the sorrow in his writing? He knows what he did and who he was. But he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Friends, grace is the gift. Works is the fruit that responds to that great gift. Paul did not let that gift lay on the ground. He put that gift of grace up on the biggest, most prominent place in his house or his camper van that he went around in or whatever it might be. He hung it on the doorway of his tent and he said, I was this, but by the grace of God. And his grace was not given to me in vain. And he worked as one who was loved, one who was known by Christ and who knew Christ. And he gave it his very best. Even to the end, friends, he's writing Philippians from jail. Who does that? 
Have any of you ever written a letter from jail? When I was in jail in a foreign country that will remain nameless just because I don't want to shame anybody, I didn't think about writing any, anything. I was just thinking about getting interrogated. I wasn't thinking about writing a letter to somebody. This man was deeply centered and anchored in knowing that the most important thing was to know Jesus, even in his suffering. And secondly, to be rooted and grounded in the grace of Jesus, just to remain in it. And that is what empowered him to do those kinds of things. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says this, For by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God and not a result of works so that no one may boast. The only boasting we can do is to boast on Jesus because he saw us fit to let us know him. And I'm grateful for that. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, grace and works, they go together every time. And when you separate those things, when it's okay, when it's good enough for you to simply know the grace of God and receive the grace of God, but not respond to the grace of God, you are bifurcating your faith. You are taking one of the legs off of your faith. You are crippling your faith at that point. And I'll tell you why. One major reason is because when people see you calling yourself a Christian, I know that person goes to church, they've got the bumper sticker thing, but they live just like me. They're running around freaking, about, freaking out about the end of the world, about COVID, about financial ruin, about whatever part of the sky is going to fall next week. They're just like me. And then they tell me I should be like them. They don't realize I already am. That might be the conversation a neighbor has in their own head about us sometimes. But God wants us to stand on both feet. It's easier to walk with two feet. I don't know what it's like to walk with three, but I'm guessing two is good enough because that's how God made us. If you give up the side of works, you are handicapping your faith. Paul was a man who ran on both feet. He understood and received the grace of God and he knew who he was and he knew what that meant for him. The invitation was to labor and see the goodness of God manifested on the earth. Praise God he didn't hunker down in a cave somewhere and just wait for Jesus to come back. He went out there and he said, well, Jesus said, go everywhere, make disciples everywhere. Teach them everything I taught you. Disciple nations, all the crazy stuff. Was, well, I, I should go do that. And he did. A third and final belief that really anchored Paul and motivated him was this. That eternity is home. Eternity is home. This life is temporal. This life is short. Paul knew that. And he set his priorities to follow suit. He didn't over-prioritize or over-spiritualize getting a house and getting married. Those things are important, but they're not ultimately important. 
Houses can burn, marriages can break apart, spouses die, spouses leave. Christ never leaves, and your home is with him in eternity forever. But not yet. But not yet. The Quakers have a saying, I grew up in New Hampshire, there's lots of Quakers making furniture over there. They say, live as though Jesus is coming back today, but build so it'll last for a thousand years. My wife and I were chatting about this last night on the couch. Yeah, do we have that mentality because you don't want to be so, what they say commonly, so eternally minded that you're no earthly good. If God has given you permission to be alive during this season, he's trusting you to let the outworking of your faith bear fruit in this season. No one is a bench sitter. No one. I don't care if you're 12. I don't care if you're 112. No one's a bench sitter. You are called to see the outworking of your faith bear fruit because it will, as Maximus Aurelius says, echo in eternity. Do you believe that? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't live with eternity in view very much. It's hard to do that. Why? Because the day-to-day pangs of life feel very real, and they are real. The difficulties, the challenges, the joys, the opportunities, whatever it might be, the chance to go on vacation somewhere that's not here. I mean, it's beautiful here too, but it's, those things are beautiful, but they also draw our attention away from the reality is that we are citizens of another kingdom. Paul says this, continuing on in chapter three at verse 17, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many who, have, who I have often told you and now even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But... Our citizenship is in heaven. Another way of saying that is we are a part of the commonwealth of God. If we were Canadian, that would make more sense to you. But we are a part of his kingdom, one that he is in charge of, and we are simply, simply representatives here in this place. And from this citizenship in heaven, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform us and transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, Paul knew something, and I wonder if we know it, that it matters where you put your anchor. It matters where you drop that anchor, because if you drop it on the bottom of a sandy beach, you're going adrift. Set it in the rocks, and you're secure. And here's something else interesting about anchors is there are, there are things called sea anchors. A different style anchor than this one. It's like a big parachute almost, kind of, or a big cone. And when you drop it in the water when you're out at sea and the depths are too great for an anchor to reach, depending on the size of that thing, it can hold you fast, even in the biggest storms, making it possible to endure. Some of us are in deep waters. 
Some of us need to drop that sea anchor and know that Christ will hold you fast. It matters where you put your anchor. Keeping the anchor in the boat never saved anybody that I know of. And again, my life is short and my knowledge is limited, but you need to use the anchor. And Christ is calling you to anchor your hope in your eternal glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is a bigger chunk, says this, As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Listen to this future language. We shall bear the image of the man of heaven. You are doing that right now. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal body puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, there are things that God's going to call you to do that no person will ever see on this side of eternity. But Christ sees it, and it will be seen. It says in those, in those times of the judgment, everything will be revealed and everything will be made plain. Friends, are we investing in eternity? Are we walking in the mentality that Paul carried that eternity is his home? That is his final destination. Paul also says in Colossians chapter 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's our future hope. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He goes on to say, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And he, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
So we are always of good courage. See, Paul challenges us to lift our eyes off the temporal things and instead fix our attention on the things that last, to cut loose from temporal losses and be anchored in eternal gains, to forget about temporal setbacks. We've all had them. And remind yourself of the eternal victories that are yours in Christ Jesus We also rip out and throw away temporal mindsets and fasten our thinking and our attention on eternal realities. And we recognize those temporal disappointments and discomforts and say, those were real, those hurt, but I'm going to step into a position of faith and receive joy. We need to anchor ourselves in these kinds of beliefs. I believe that God is calling us to a new place of faith. This community, this family, this part of the body of Jesus, he's called us to move forward with him. And I just wonder, are you willing? Are you willing to let him shape your beliefs according to what is true and according to what matters most and according to what will last forever? Are you willing? I encourage you that if you are not praying every day for God to shape your mindset, start doing so. Tell him to do whatever he wants to do to shape you and mold you. If you don't read your Bible, read it. Read the truths of the scriptures. That is how we are reminded of who he is and what he is doing and the truth that will remain forever. And then obey. You have the chance to know Christ in prayer, to know Christ in the word, and to know Christ through obedience. He is inviting us to mature and to grow. And so I'd like to pray for us, if you would stand with me, as I invite the Holy Spirit to empower us to not just know him, but to live out the truth that he embodies. So Jesus, thank you. We love you so much. And Father, I ask that you would wash us with your word, that you would minister to us deeply, that you would give us courage to follow you no matter what. And repeating Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, we say over ourselves, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, According to the riches of your glory, grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Jesus Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded and anchored in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, we love you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of this community and for serving Christ. We love you and we'll see you next week. Have a great week. 
hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.